building a startup or building a company is a race. You know, it's, it's really all about your pace and it has very little to do with your top speed. And in the early days of Zen Hub, I think back, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I would be working 10, 12 hours a day because there was just always more to do. And, and you find out pretty quickly, for me, it was, you know, two, three years in, that that's not very sustainable to be sprinting at top speed the entire time. So for me, a big learning was just slowing down. There's importance to that and focusing on yourself um, along the journey as well and not just putting so much energy and giving so much energy to the business and to other people necessarily around that. Hey, my name is Aaron Upright and I'm the co-founder of ZenHub. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries, who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Aaron Upright built the platform that connects your code to the strategy of your innovation team. All this and more on Code Story. Aaron Upright used to get a ton of energy staying up late and strategizing about his startup. But now that he is eight years in, he gets the most energy from what he does outside of work. Living outside Vancouver, he enjoys spending quality time with family and friends and routing mountain bikes, which he finds particularly physically and mentally stimulating. In the past, Aaron and his team noticed the gap between developers and product folks. As developers were working in GitHub, while product managers were working in and reporting on project software. They took a step back and decided to create something to solve this problem and match the tool to their ethos. This is the creation story of ZenHub. ZenHub has evolved a lot since we first started it in the very early days. When I think back, you know, seven, eight years ago to when we were actually starting the company, Really, our motivation was trying to solve this uh, internal challenge that we had as a team, trying to build software and coordinate how we were building software so that we could actually give meaningful updates to our clients and customers that we were you know, building different software offerings and projects for. We always came up against this really primary point of friction between our product team and our engineering team, which was that you know, our engineers were off working in GitHub and, and working on code there. and. Uh, never really incentivized to come into their project management tool in order to give the rest of the business an update on how these different projects were progressing. And it created this really big gap between what we were working on and how we were communicating those updates to our clients and our customers at the time. And that gap actually got you know so big that it was becoming a really big point of friction for the organization. So we took a step back and after evaluating a, a lot of different project management solutions on the market, we, we kind of took a step back and said, well, how could we build something or engineer something ourselves that better fits with our ethos as a company, which was very developer focused, very engineering friendly. And what we actually landed on was the initial prototype for ZenHub, which was a, a Chrome extension that injected some project management task boards into GitHub so we could take advantage of all the great work that we were doing there and then have that visual layer for prioritization and progress that our product managers and the rest of our team could really use to understand how the different projects we were working on were actually trending. But as I mentioned earlier, we've evolved a lot since then and really away from just being a project management solution really to a productivity solution for software teams that's more encompassing of just agile task boards. We have a, a lot of reporting capabilities, for example. We connect code to business strategy through a real-time roadmap. 
And we actually try to be a home for more than just developers. We know that software is more and more becoming a team sport. And so we try to create an inclusive place for everyone in the organization to come and understand how their software projects are actually trending. Tell me about the MVP. So that first version of the product, I hear you saying it's evolved, but I want to hear about that first one. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? I came into the parent organization at the time when that had just been developed. Three people, I think, that had kind of hacked together this really simple Chrome extension. And all, I, all that did, like I said, was inject a task board into GitHub so we could use GitHub issues in order to organize and prioritize what we were actually working on. You know, the experience in GitHub at the time, if you remember back and were using issues, was really messy. You get these really long threads of people coming in and saying, plus one, or, you know, hey, where is this? Has this been worked on in the last month? It was a really chaotic way of communicating and trying to understand what teams were working on. So that was really what the MVP was trying to solve, bringing more organization to GitHub issues and using them in a way that we could actually communicate the status of, of uh, the project. And like I said, that Chrome extension was built over the course of a few weeks. Um, the functionality itself was very, very limited and didn't really provide much utility beyond that board and a plus one button that we had built in to try to simplify those really long, multi-hundred comment threads of people just coming in and saying plus one or we agree with this. The first version that we launched actually was pretty similar um, to that too for paying customers. Um, and we added a lot of polish over you know, the, the launch period of very basic functionality compared to what we actually offer now. So in that first version, it really, in any MVP, you gotta make certain decisions and trade-offs around you know, feature cut, tech debt, things you're gonna accept, and also you know, things that you are, are, are not going to do in the beginning, right? So tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with them. So I don't think we anticipated that ZenHub would be as well received as it was in the market. When we launched it and kind of made that beta version available to people, we saw enormous demand for it. And a lot of teams out there that wanted to run their software projects in a way that was much closer to where they were actually managing their code base. And so from a technical perspective, almost from the, the beginning, or maybe a product perspective, I should say, we were really just inundated with customer demand and requests for what people wanted to see built into the product. And from a technical perspective, we were trying to move as fast as possible to keep up with those demands. What ended up happening is that I think we built a lot of the complexity and logic of the product into the front end of our product rather than thoughtfully really engineering that on the back end. And a lot of that had to do with the way that we actually chose to integrate with GitHub as well, being directly built into their UI. So in terms of decisions and trade-offs, you know, one of the early kind of decisions that we made was in order to really increase our velocity and increase our speed was to engineer a lot of that logic around the front end. And as you can probably guess, that really didn't set us up for, for scale in a way that, that worked out very well. We, you know, two, three years into the business, really started to see the performance and reliability issues that, you know, were, were kind of a consequence of that. Uh, in fact, at one point, we really had to stop building any new functionality as a whole to completely rewrite our backend and move things from Node.js over to Ruby. So there's still parts of our legacy application today that are built around that initial framework. But uh, we've done a lot to really decouple ourselves from that and really build on a much more performant and kind of reliable backend for the future. I love stories about having to rewrite a backend. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> I, I have been in those positions and uh, I know how hard it is, but so I also know how valuable it is and how awesome it is once you get through with it because it's it's such a heavy lift, but if you do it early enough, it's such a valuable thing. Right. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, you know, I could sit here and proclaim that, you know, we should have thought about that scale at the beginning, but you know, part of the beauty of, of creating a company and, you know, creating a startup is that you never really know where, where things are going to take you. And I don't think we anticipated that there would be as much demand as we saw in the market for this type of solution and that things would move as quickly as we did. We were, you know, a young company at the time that just had an idea and created a product that worked really well for us. We didn't know that, you know, several years down the line, we would be working with thousands of customers and tens of thousands of teams. And so, you know, I could, I could sit back and say, Hey, maybe we should have seen that coming and really built for that scale or tried to architect for that scale in the early days. But, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about just trying to keep up with that demand and, and, uh, uh, making, you know, trade-offs in the early days to, to try to move fast. Well, okay. So from that point, then you got an MVP, you've made your trade-offs, you're getting traction. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I'm interested in how you built your roadmap and decided, okay, now this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Zenhub. I mean, I think one of the biggest realizations that we've had as a company as we've gone on this journey is that software really is the ultimate team sport. Gone are the days of developers, you know, sitting in a closed off room, working on requirements that are thrown over the fence by a product team. Software development in 2022 and beyond is, is increasingly collaborative. It's more team-based than ever before. And these teams are bigger than they ever have been before and, and filled with team members that are in functions that are software adjacent, whether it's product marketing or maybe design. Um, so it's been a really important realization for us that those teams are made up of just more than developers. And we realized that we needed to build an experience that was actually inclusive for those different personas. So we've actually shifted as we've matured as a product really away from this GitHub-centric view of the world where everything needs to be built around a GitHub feature or even the experience being built inside of GitHub's UI, really to building out our own platform and our own experiences so that those personas that are adjacent to the software team really feel like ZenHub is a home for them as well in a way that I don't think GitHub ever really could be for all its, its credit as a platform. You know, it's still a very technical platform. It still has a very high barrier to entry and a lot of friction from non-technical members of the team, or maybe I should say non-developers on the team. And I think we have that ability to be something a little bit more welcoming and a little bit more friendly for those, those other personas on the team. Let's switch to team. So tell me about how you built your team and what you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you. I think personally, you know, there's a lot of different opinions out there. For me, it really comes down to a, a core set of traits. Um, you know, people looking for people that are self-motivated, you know, that push themselves and hold themselves to a really high standard rather than needing, you know, others to necessarily do that for them or um, put them up to the challenge. Um, I love, you know, working with people and uh, bringing people on board that just have that natural curiosity. It's another important trait for me. They ask really good questions and they, they always seek to understand the why behind things. You know, I, I love when our developers or when our team says, hey, I understand what we're building, but what's the why behind this? I want to know why this will make an impact for our customers or why this will make an impact for us as a business. Maybe they're not always asking that question directly of us as a leadership team. And maybe they're asking that question to themselves and then going on a, a journey internally to figure that out. Um, so that I think is really important as well as a trait that uh, I really look for in people. Um, I love working with people that just have you know a great attitude and and uh, 
I vector that pretty highly over experience. You know, I'd rather personally work with someone that's got a great attitude, that wants to win, that wants to contribute, than someone who just has all the experience, even if it's in a similar domain or a track record of, you know, having operated at the scale before. You know, I think the people that end up punching above their weight class and really um, adding a ton of value to the organization are people that just have those those great attitudes um, and that really that really want it. Um, so that's really important. And then, you know, a, a final trait I think about as well is, you know, people that have a, a bias towards action. I know that's a cliche and it's a commonly used term, but people that understand that speed can be a competitive differentiator, especially in a really crowded market like the one that we're in, um, those are, that's a really important trait, I think, for people to have uh, to, to want to move quickly and push themselves rather than how do we get this perfect on the first try. Let's flip to scalability. So tell me about, you know, the evolution of your scalability. And, and you know, given your stories thus far, I have an idea of where you're going to go, but I just want you to tell me the story. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or have you been fighting this as you grow? It's been a little bit of both. And I, I talked a little bit about some of the de- uh, decisions and trade-offs we made in the early days and how heavily we invested in bringing a lot of the logic and a lot of the heavy compute into the front end of our product and that not necessarily being the right decision. So that's definitely been something we've been grappling with as we've scaled the business to, you know, thousands of paying customers and and tens of thousands of teams that are using our product. It was not something we necessarily anticipated in the early days. And so we've had to do a lot of re-architecting of our product to really think about how do we build for that scale going forward. On the other side, I know that this is a, a technical podcast, but um, hopefully people will have some appreciation for the go-to-market sides of the business as well. One of the things we really didn't do in the early days, scale-wise, was invest in go-to-market. And I think we had this fantastic inbound interest from developers and teams that wanted to use our product. But you know, one of the, um, the things that I look back on and, and I think was perhaps a mistake or something we should have done earlier is really invest in a lot of that momentum and invest in go-to-market to carry forward that momentum and really make sure that as we were evolving the product, that we were evolving the messaging, the positioning, helping people understand that shift we were making from being so GitHub-centric to being more really of a team and organization-wide tool. I bring that up because I think there's multiple ways to approach that uh, question when it comes to scale, both on the technical side of things and then the non-technical side of scaling a company as well. And um, in some veins, they're kind of equally important to make sure that you're doing both versus you know, just setting yourself up for technical scale and uh, not maybe investing on the go-to-market side as much as you should. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm really proud that we've been able to create really a lasting, enduring business and a product that's created real value for the people that use it. You know, we are a team product by nature and we have teams all the time that say, look, we, you know, after adopting the solution, feel like we're much more in control of our process you know, we feel like we're getting stuff done a lot more quickly. We feel like we actually have a process. We get that from a lot of teams. And so at the end of the day, being able to, you know, recognize and still see after seven years that you're creating that real value for people that use it and that use it every day, that's that's pretty special. And the other thing, I think not many startups even make it to seven, you know, and a half, eight years old. And so that in and of itself feels like an accomplishment to me that's worth celebrating and being proud of. And um, like I said, we've we've really built a resilient business. It's not been an easy ride the whole time. We've had a lot of market friction. We've had a lot of market dynamics change on us. We've had new competitors come into the space. We've had existing competitors that have done very well financially or raised 
much larger rounds of capital that we have, but we've always found a way to push through and and really uh, endure. And that I think is a, a special trait about us as a business. This team has always, you know, found a way to come through and, and push through the challenges to get to the other side of that. And at the end of the day, as you mentioned, when you step out on the balcony, that's that's what I'm really proud of. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I think a really interesting one is, you know, how long as a product we spent in this GitHub-centric kind of view of the world. And I'll, I'll take that away from GitHub because we've been talking a lot about GitHub as a platform. But this is a maybe a cautionary tale for any company that decides to build on top of another platform. It can be a great launch pad to, to in, get that initial scale, to validate that initial MVP. But really, you got to think beyond that and what comes next. And we spent a lot of time, frankly, I think too much time, really just focused on GitHub and the ecosystem. And obviously, as a company, GitHub has gone through a lot of changes in the past several years, some for the better, some for the worse. We spent, I think, a lot of time and, and quite frankly, a little bit too much time really focused on that ecosystem and not really thinking about how do we add value beyond that? A mistake, you know, that we, you know, have course corrected from, but I would have liked to, I think, early on in the business, start to think about what is our story beyond this ecosystem? You know, this has been a great foundational launch pad and people have gotten to know us in the market for this great project management tool that we built on top of GitHub. But how do we, how do we use that to start to tell a bigger story and how do we get to add more value to the rest of the company rather than just the development team? So that is, a, uh, I think, a cautionary tale for anyone that's building on a platform beyond the obvious technical risk that you know comes with that really thinking about what's the story beyond that platform. How do we get to scale and start to decouple from that platform so that we're not entirely reliant on that uh, too early on. So what does the future look like for Zenhub, the product, and for your team? I think for the product, it really comes to, to two areas of how I see our product really evolving and maturing. You know, we really want to continue investing in this platform so that, again, we're not this point solution for teams that are using ZenHub, GitHub, I should say. We're uh, really a, a software team solution and uh, able to bring you know, more people in an inclusive way to the table to learn and understand how their software projects are progressing and create that value for non-developers to make ZenHub really feel like a home for the entire company. So those platform investments are, are really key for us. At the same time, we want to continue investing into bringing more insights into our product to help engineering teams really improve their productivity. Um, we want to make it really easy for teams to identify in their process and workflow where they can make improvements and take action in the product. So we have this great suite of reports and insights that we've built into our product. Continuing to build on those foundations is something that's going to be really important for us so that we can continue to uh, not just make teams feel good about their process, but actually help them measure and understand how they're progressing from sprint to sprint, for example, or how they're getting better over time and being able to have a quantitative way to measure that. From a, a team perspective, you know, I, we, we really do aspire to, to grow, but I think we've had a different look at that in the last couple of months. You know, it's not growth at all costs. It's how do we grow, but in a very sustainable way. You know, there's 8,000, you know, teams and, and companies that rely on ZenHub to power their workflow. And I think we have an obligation to those teams to uphold and is we think about the future and, and just the market conditions that we're seeing. You know, we want to really make sure that we never are straying too far away from our roots as a bootstrapped, capital-efficient business. You know, we had that mentality in the very early days, and even though we've we've raised some capital to help scale the team and scale that growth, you know, we never want to get too far away from that where it starts to feel uncomfortable. So, 
let's switch to you, Aaron. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name a CEO, CTO, architect, person, lots of people, whatever you want to tell me. Name something you look up to and why. I mean, I've been lucky enough in my, in my, my short career to be surrounded by some excep- exceptionally smart people um, that have given me a lot of opportunities to um, succeed and to learn. One of those people, Tyler Gaffney, who's our CEO, has been you know, both a mentor and a friend on this journey for me. We brought Tyler into the business about four years ago. And so um, he really helped level us up from a, a process standpoint. He'd been at larger organizations and kind of seen companies achieve that scale really quickly and kind of the, uh, the challenges that can sometimes come with that from a cultural perspective and trying to scale rapidly. What I really appreciate about Tyler is just how much he wants to win, and that energy is is really uplifting for me. You know, and, and he, you know, is that constant source of motivation for me if I'm having a tough day or if I'm not as optimistic maybe and, and don't have that outlook. Uh, you know, Tyler always brings that that energy to want to win, and, and that's always super uplifting for me. Coming full circle to the beginning of the conversation, you know, you got to have fun with it. There's got to be more than just showing up to work every single day and putting the hours in, and so. Tyler's one of those people for me that makes work a really fun experience. Rohan to Gergoslu has been a huge influence on me. He's the founder of our parent company, Axiom Zen, where Zen Hub really first came out of. Uh, You know, Rohan took a chance on me right out of of school and he trusted me with an enormous amount of responsibility in the early days of getting to work on Zen Hub and take something that had clearly, you know, made a difference for us internally and said, hey, bring this up to market and see where we can go with it. And so it was a pretty immense amount of responsibility that he, he gave to me in the early days. But Roham is really a model to look up to when it comes to working hard. I, I don't think I know anyone in the world that works harder than he does. As a CEO, staying calm under pressure, you know, he's exceptionally good, I think, at navigating uncertainty and, and doing so with a calm demeanor and a, a very forward-looking outlook than someone, someone who maybe panics and operates on, on that uh, level. And for someone I think who's done incredibly well in business, Roham is also incredibly gracious in giving with his time. And uh, a lot of successful people don't necessarily give back in the way that Roham does. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's always been really generous and really uh, kind with his time towards me. So I'm very, very lucky for that. So we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different or where would you consider taking a different approach? I mean, I'll kind of go back to the same example there um, because I think it's a really important lesson and a big takeaway for me is that, look, building on top of another platform can be a really powerful way to start and scale a business, but eventually you need to have a strategy beyond that to decouple from that dependency and for us, you know, really make sure that we have control over the elements of our business that are really important. Um, You know, one of the downsides, I think, of, of the approach that we took of being so embedded into GitHub, you know, and even using their login as a way to access our product is that you know, we lost control of our funnel and it, it became a challenge because we had so many people that wanted to get into this product that didn't necessarily have a GitHub account or want to go through that process of signing up for GitHub in order to get access to ZenHub and be able to collaborate with their team. And so starting to think about that you know, much earlier on in the business is a change that I would have made if I were to go back you know, several years into this rather than you know, five years into this, uh, which is when we really started thinking about building our own platform you know, that's when I would have been thinking about how do we start to build a strategy and a story beyond this. Uh, so I think that's that's definitely where I would make some changes if I could go back and maybe reorient the strategy as a company. Well, okay, Aaron, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can we show it off to you right there on the plane? What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? 
you know, the road is is a, a long one, especially in startups. And if you you know you think about building building a startup or building a company as a race, you know, it's it's really all about your pace and it has very little to do with your top speed. And in the early days of Zen Hub, I think back, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I would be working 10, 12 hours a day. There was just always more to do. And, and you find out pretty quickly, for me, it was, you know, two, three years in, that that's not very sustainable to be sprinting at top speed the entire time. And, you know, physically, I wasn't in good shape. Mentally, I didn't feel like I was in good shape and able to think at the capacity that I could when I first started the business. So for me, a big learning was just slowing down. There's importance to that and focusing on yourself along the journey as well and not just putting so much energy and giving so much energy to the business and to other people necessarily around that. Um, and I would, I would recommend anyone, it doesn't necessarily have to be a young entrepreneur, but anyone who's you know into their career to really think about and take stock of what gives you energy and what takes away your energy. And once you kind of realize that, you, know, you can start to build your lifestyle a little bit more around those things that give you energy Maybe you're not going to be able to avoid those things that take that time and take that energy away from you, but at least recognizing that can help you manage that better. Um, so that would be that would be the advice I think I'd give to someone who's just getting started on this journey. Fantastic advice. Well, Aaron, thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for telling the creation story of ZenHub. Thanks so much, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money.